0: Awesome, you guys. Thanks so much. Man, it is, a, it is a sincere joy and honor to be here again. I, I've been here a while back. I don't know if uh, it's, it's been a little while, so none of you, I don't know if any of you were students back when I was here before, but man, it's just, it's just awesome to be here with you guys. I love the atmosphere here. I, uh, thanks for singing from your heart, you guys, and, and worshiping from your heart. You can always tell when that's going on and, and going down, and uh, wow. So you guys are in this every day. I get that. I, I, it, it's a joy to just be able to stop by and encourage you guys today. I'm your brother. I'm your fellow servant. I'm not some ministry expert or anything like that. Fellow soldier in the battle with you guys. And um, I want to share something that relates to my life today, but is also something I think relates to anybody in our generation that's saying, God, I want to give myself For ministry, I want to give myself to what you're doing. And, Lord, I just pray this morning in this place that your presence would continue to rest on us. I ask you, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would would receive and be open to what you have for us today. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation. Open our eyes, open our hearts. We want to know you better, Jesus. We want to know your heart. We long for your presence more and more. Amen, amen. So, um, Proverbs four twenty three says this uh, something Isaac was just mentioning, mentioning a moment ago. Keep your heart with diligence, because out of your heart flow the issues of life. Keep your heart with diligence. Out of your heart flows the issues of life. I want to talk about that today, and uh, connect it to a few different things, but. I want to tell you a little bit about my story today. Um, I grew up, my parents were Jesus people. Uh, they got saved in the Jesus movement. They were hippies that got saved in Southern California. And uh, yeah, I grew up in Pasadena until I was like, hey, till I was like five years old. And uh, my parents went to Life Bible College, uh, Jack Hayford's church, Church on the Way. Pastor Jack dedicated me when I was a baby, when the church was like the size of this room and And no one knew who Jack Hayford was and that kind of thing. And my parents went through Life Bible College and went up to Petaluma, California when they graduated to plant a church. So we moved up to the Bay Area when I was uh, five years old or so in kindergarten. And um, for the most part, been here ever since. Uh, There was a short stint where we were over here in Union City over in the East Bay. Yeah, baby. We were over here doing stuff. My parents pastored on Alvarado Niles out there. And then we lived in the Navajo Nation for a while. Um, out in Arizona. And so, uh, and then eventually came back to Petaluma when I was in, uh, in junior high school. And my parents were in ministry. They loved the Lord. I grew up in a really good home. But I want to tell you something that happened in my family when I was uh, 18 years old. When I was 18 years old, um, my mom left my dad. And my parents split up, had a, got a divorce, and they were at pastors on staff at a church when that happened. And I have a younger, two younger siblings than me. It was really hard on us as kids. And it's kind of interesting when something like that happens in a family and you're like everybody knows your family. They're pastors at a church. And it brought me to a point. I mean, I grew up, I'd been in a and youth group with the presence of God, seeing miracles, being encountered by God, all those kinds of things. But it brought me to a point of, of a crossroads in my life. I realized I had grown up sort of coattail riding a bit on my parents' faith. And not that I didn't have my own relationship with Jesus, but my roots weren't real deep. And when that crisis hit, all kinds of questions came with my life. You know what I mean? When, like, crisis brings questions, all kinds of questions began to pop up. Lord, does marriage even work? My parents served you, and then this is going on. I don't get it. And while there was a temptation maybe to just say whatever and just say forget it and and walk away and go do my own thing, Something happened inside of me in this crisis in my family where I felt drawn into the heart of Jesus. And I was big time into surfing, surfing all the time, playing music with my friends. I had all this stuff going on. And I, I let it all go. All these hobbies, all these things, all this activity in my life. And I would go to work, go to class in my freshman year in college. And then I would come home and just like, and just get out my guitar and just just worship Jesus and open the Bible and pray and seek him. And like this metamorphosis began happening in my life. And I started to have these questions that I had about, Lord, can marriage work? You know, all this fear that you have when you see your parents go through something. He's began to speak to me. When I'm in the middle of something, every, everything is possible. It will work. The point is just keep me in the middle. <laughs> keep me in the center. And so anyway, this is all going on. Everybody growing up in my life, they would always say, hey, going to be a pastor like your dad? And I'd be like... I love my dad. I'm not going to be a pastor like my dad. Sorry, that's not not on the it's not on the agenda. Um, I was going to be a pediatrician. That's what I wanted to do: serve people, help people, that kind of thing, which is a noble cause. And if you're going to do that, that's awesome. But I I I I wasn't going to be in ministry. But here's what happened. Nineteen years old. I've been in this season maybe three, four months seeking the Lord. All this clutter is getting removed from my life. All this lust is being broken off in my life. God is just doing a work inside of me that's powerful. And I go to this retreat, and at this retreat, there's actually a spirit-filled Baptist guy who's preaching, and um, he gave this altar call for repentance. And I was like in the mode where I'm going to go to any and every altar call. They want people to get saved. I'm going to the altar. They're calling for repentance, deliverance. I'm going to the altar. They're, well, that doesn't matter. They're gonna, I'm just going. I was hungry, and so, like, I had already been repenting of everything under the sun for like four months. I was really in a in a, in a pretty good place, but they gave this altar call. I'm like, I'm going anyway. And so I got in line, and in line, God encountered me. The Holy Spirit fell on me and, and baptized me in the love of God and began to give me an open vision of nations, the nation of China, people I'd never seen before. F- f- pictures flashing before my eyes. This, 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 this love, indescribable, his, his love for these people. And I'm breaking, I'm crying, crying for the first time maybe in five, six years. Now you can harden your heart and just, you go through stuff. And I just began to weep, and I'm just getting soft in the presence of God. And I finally get to the front where they're praying. God's starting to move, and the leaders, don't, they don't even really kind of know what to do. And people are falling out, and it's great. Um, and so I get to the front, and I, and they said, okay, lift your hands. And I, and I lifted my hands, and it was like I put them into 220 volts of electricity, and I just began to shake. Like, I can't even imitate it right now. I don't even want to show you. I might hurt myself <laughs> trying to show you what happened. But I'm just shaking, and I go down under the power. And that was the day that I got I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know it because I wasn't even talking. But I went home, and I began to pray, and all of a sudden, I was speaking in tongues. So um, all this stuff happened to me in that encounter with God. And what I knew out of that encounter is something's changed in my life, and I knew I need to go to Bible college. So at 19 years old, I went to Bible college. Why are you going to Bible college? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to know Jesus. Are you going to go into ministry? No. That lasted like like a month, seriously. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm going to the nations. I'm going into ministry. And, and what I'm trying to tell you is out of a, a crisis in my family, out of pain and hurt in my family, you know, God knows how to take the good out of the bad. He does. And that was a real crisis for me. Some of you have been through much worse than that, or know people that have been through much worse than that. And everybody's story is different. But the truth that Jesus can take the good out of the bad is the same across the board. And I, you know, I've been in ministry now for I've been a senior pastor over in Novato, in Marin County for 11 years now. Before that, I was a young adults and worship pastor. I had the joy when I graduated Bible college at 22 years old. I lived in Africa for a year and I founded and taught in a Bible institute for pastors with 150 pastors in it. And they're all older than me. And I was 22 and leading this thing going, oh, my goodness, how did I get here? Because God can put you anywhere if you're yielded to him. I got to be a part of a church planning team in Siberia for like half a year, helping to start a church that's now started 20 other churches. I've got to experience. I, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to tell you something today. Like God took my simple yielded response amount out of brokenness in my life and some kid that lives in Petaluma and people are like Petal what? Petaluma and, and let me get released to the nations of the world. And I've, I've served and I've ministered in Pakistan and India and all these different places. I and and it's just been, I'm so grateful, by the way, that I've had those experience because being partnered and connected with what God's doing around the world begins to give you a vision that this generation is unique, it's special, it's anointed, it's preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, and we are part of one of the greatest generations in the history of the world. We really are. And sometimes in the midst of problems and crises and things that are going on, we don't see that, we start to lose focus, and it's so good to like get the bigger picture and and get the bigger connection. We probably right now when historians write about this day that we're living are going to say that this was one of the, this was the greatest revival going on on the planet globally right now in the history of the world. I really believe it's only getting better. Okay. So say all that to say, um, I've been a lead pastor now and my, My message for you today is this. God has not ever purposed any trial in your life that would overcome you, that would overwhelm you. He's only purposed for you to actually overcome and transcend in the midst of those trials. That's all he has purposed for you. He's purposed good. And God is raising up a generation that can thrive anywhere. God is raising up a generation that can thrive anywhere in the inner city, In the sticks, in the Congo, in a war zone, in a human trafficking area, in wherever, in the the heart of a a metropolitan city. He's raising up a generation that wherever he drops them, if they get dropped out of a helicopter with a Bible and and go to minister to the Taliban, they can thrive there. Like they can thrive anywhere. There's a spirit of the overcomer that is in you, that is in me, that is in this generation. God has called you, He's called me, He's called our generation, a chosen generation, to walk in the spirit of the overcomer. Not the spirit of the overwhelmer, where everything that comes my way is getting me down, it's, it's pushing me under, but I'm able to actually overcome the spirit of the overcomer. And, like, it's just whatever... This generation, whatever they've been through, wherever they're placed, whatever their assignment, they can thrive and cause other people to thrive. You see, because it's not about the where. It's not even about the what. Now, I'm not against ministry assignments. I've called the worship. I've called the pastor of Plant Church. That's good. Assignments are good. But it's not even about the what. It's about the who. It's about who Jesus is in you. It's about who you are in him. And it's about your decision to rise up and not let anything that's happened to you going on around you, people said about you, become an excuse to not be the you that God has called you to be. It's, it's, it's not about the where. It's about the who. Because you can take somebody with the mindset of a pauper, of a, of a poor man, and you can put him in a palace and he's going to turn that place into a dump, y'all. Because that's what's inside of them. But you can take a prince or a princess and you can put them in a dump and they're going to transform that place into a palace because it's about the spirit of the overcomer inside of them. They transform the environment around them. It's not about the where. It's about the who. That's why we've got to guard our hearts with diligence. Diligence. Because out of it flows the issues of life. What we allow to influence us and flow in, which is what influence means, is going to flow out to influence the world around us. We have to keep our hearts. God is raising up a generation of overcomers that are free from blaming, free from being defined by their past, by what happened to them, by what's going on around them. Free from making excuses about why they can't do what God has called them to do. He's raising up a generation that will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why you can have Sunday Adelijah, who is a Nigerian man, dropped in the middle of an all-white city, Kiev, Ukraine, and have a church of 30,000 white Ukrainians. Because he is able, he's thriving where he's been placed. It's not about the, and like I said, I feel like if there's a leader with the spirit of an overcomer, you can give them an assignment to go do preschool ministry in your church and they're going to blow that thing up and reach whole families for Jesus and revival is going to come. Really. I believe if somebody is a leader and they walk in the spirit of the overcomer of who Jesus is in their life. You can put them in any, you can you can give them some assignment, some remote place and God is going to fall there. We so often think if I could just get the right opportunity, you don't need the right You don't even need the right opportunity. (laughs) God wants to give you the right opportunity. Understand me. I'm I'm not saying that that's not important. We don't need to be led by the Spirit. But I'm just saying it's, it's, if we will have the right attitude and we'll keep our hearts with diligence, then even an opportunity that's not the ultimate destination, God is going to move and he's going to lead us on into the sweet spot where he's called us to be. We see this, I want to give you two examples in the scripture um, in, in the time we have this morning. I want to speak to you real quick about John the Baptist and, and as an example of needing to guard our hearts. In the story of John the Baptist, in Matthew chapter 11, it says, It came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He said two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the one? Are you the one that's coming? Or do we look for another? That's a really powerful question. It's a really interesting question. Because you know what happened about seven chapters, eight chapters earlier? John came. I mean, Jesus came down where John was baptizing. And John said, Behold, the who? The Lamb. What does he do? Takes away the sin. Basically, he said, Everybody, there's the Messiah. And I saw the Holy Spirit fall on him like a dove and stay upon him. He said, that's the Messiah. He told everybody, that's the Messiah. He baptized him. And, and John said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, Let, just baptize me. And, and, they, and they do it. He recognizes him. But when he is in prison, when he is in a circumstance that is difficult, when even in his faithfulness to God, even in his heart to serve God, he is, and that's, that will happen in your assignment. It will happen in the ministry. It will happen in the thing God has called you to do. You will be disappointed. You will expect one thing and something else will happen. You'll go through times where people walk away. You'll go through times where it, of confusion, times where it's not working out like you thought it would work out when God gave you the promise. John the Baptist, the Bible. Sorry about my voice, guys. I've learned just a little bit. I'm getting over it. I could use a little bit of water, actually. I, I turned you down before, but now I'll take you up on it. John, John was in this of disappointment. And in that place, he began to doubt a little bit the confession that he had previously made. Now, John, the Bible says, is the greatest born among women. And then Jesus said, oh, and the least in the kingdom that are born again in the New Testament are are greater than him. So you, you have more grace in your life than John the Baptist did. All right. Tell somebody you've got more grace. All right. Nonetheless, we still have a lesson. John, who's this great prophet, this great foreigner, this great man of God. He gets into a place where his circumstances contradicting the promise that Jesus gave him. Thank you so much. And he begins to doubt and he sends messengers. Ask him, hey, is this? are you the one or do we look for someone else? Look, and how, look how Jesus responded. Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go tell him that. There's one more thing he's going to tell him. Go tell him that. Sometimes we can get offended because God's doing for other people what he seems to not be doing for us. Speaking to someone, giving them a vision, all this stuff's going on. And we're like, ah, it's kind of dry right now. I'm feeling a little bit tied up, feeling a little bit bound or a lot bound. And we need to learn to rest in the love of God in those seasons where we feel confined. I don't mean bound to sin. We're free from sin like we were singing this morning. It's so beautiful. But, I mean, sometimes we're in it we we're, we're we're kind of shut up to the Lord in a quiet season, and we need to learn to celebrate what God's doing around us even if it's even if we're not directly involved in that in that moment. But then Jesus says this, John, this is what's happening, and i I want you to give this last message to John this word this is the last word that Jesus ever spoke to John: Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John, I'm going to tell you something. Don't be offended because of me. Offense is trying to grab a hold of your heart, John. You knew my job. John knew Jesus' job description is to set the captives free, take people out of the prison house, right? And where's John? The cousin of Jesus, the forerunner in the prison house. He's going, Jesus, I know who you are, I know your job description, but look, I you know what's up with this? John, blessed are they that are not offended because of me we have to keep our hearts you guys with diligence and not allow the spirit of offense to ever have root inside of us i've seen the spirit of offense take more people out of the church and more people out of the ministry than any other thing you thought it was adultery but actually the spirit of offense grabbed their heart first you thought it was you thought it was greed but actually the spirit of offense grabbed their heart first we have to be in this place where we keep our hearts in the spirit of offense. And that's where I want to talk to you a little bit about. Um, I, I know we don't have tons of time, but it doesn't to hit the life of Joseph real quick. Because Joseph's life is a picture of God's grace, sustaining, transforming, repositioning us through tests and trials. Joseph had four coats in his life. The first coat was the coat of many colors. It was the coat of favor. It was a coat where he, he was the he was a son of his father's old age. And his father blessed him with this coat of many colors. And it speaks of all these different things. And that was the season Joseph's having dreams. He's having visions. He's not exactly wise about how he's having the dreams and the visions and and how he's sharing. He's like, hey, all my older brothers, I had this vision. Basically, you guys are all going to serve me. Isn't that awesome? I love this. So he, he had a lot of revelation. Maybe not so much wisdom yet, but he's a young guy. We'll give him, we'll cut him some slack. But this was a time of dreaming. It was a time of promise. It was a time where God, those words were from God. Okay? No doubt. Joseph was excited about him. That's what happens when you get a word from God. Okay? So we can't fault him at all. But in that time, he sees this vision. He sees promise. And really, the picture God showed him was was a picture for us of like end time ministry and and overcoming and being involved with bringing in the light, the end time harvest, all those kinds of things, releasing God's authority in the earth. But what happens is we know the story. His brothers actually want to kill him, but his oldest brother stops that and says, you can't kill him. Let's sell him to these, these, you know, people, these Midianites, they're going off to Egypt. It's to sell him. They took the coat, they slaughtered one of the, the, the goats, they dip the blood in they, and they bring it back to the dad and say, dad, something happened to Joseph and they sell him. He's, he's sold by his brothers. He's sold by 10 of his brothers. And he's sold into slavery. That's where he gets the servant's coat, the second coat. He's betrayed by his brothers because of jealousy. His colors are stripped away. His coat of many colors are stripped away and he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house but in Potiphar's house and in prison, and basically everywhere that Joseph goes, Joseph has what I call the Cheerio anointing. If you ever eat a bowl of Cheerios, you can't sink a Cheerio. They keep popping back up to the top every time. They pop back up to the top. It's like the cream rises to the top. Eat a bowl of Cheerios. Next time you think about Joseph, think about being an overcomer. Next time you're eating Cheerios, all right? Make the association. Cheers just keep popping back up to the top. So he's in Potiphar's house sold as a slave, but there's favor on his life. And so what happens while he's there as a slave is that Potiphar says, hey, I'm going to put you in charge of everything in my house because I trust you. You're a good guy. You have And, and, and everything just grows and prospers under Joseph's hand as, as a slave. And then we know the story. Potiphar's wife wants him to you know, commit immoral acts with her. She wants him to sleep with him. And Joseph... In that point, Joseph never forgets his relationship with God. Some of us, your character is who you are in the closet. It's who you are when there's nobody there that knows you. And he could have been like, my dad's way over there in another country. My brothers are there. No one knows me from Adam here. And I'm actually her slave. I have to do what she says. He didn't do any of that that junk. He did any, any of that. He did the one thing the Bible says in regarding to overcoming sexual sin. The Bible says flee fornication. You don't hang out like, like hey, I really shouldn't, but I don't know. But you're nice, but I don't know. Like let all the you know juices start flowing. You don't do all that kind of stuff. You just get the heck out of there. And that's what he did. He ran out. And as he did, he slips out of the servant's jacket. And it's left in Potiphar's wife's hand. Now, here's what he said to Potiphar's wife. You are my master's wife. I'm I'm not going to confuse that issue. And I couldn't do that to my God. Those two things. I have a relationship with God and you have a relationship with your husband. And that is all that matters. So let the chips fall where they may. She accuses him of rape. Now where does he go? He goes into where he gets his third garments. He gets his jumpsuit. He's in prison. He gets prison garments. Egyptian version. I don't know what they look like, but it probably wasn't bright orange or whatever, but he gets his prison garments garments what happens in prison the, the the warden is like you are awesome you should be in charge of the whole prison Cheer, him on him boom what ha- what's happening to joseph every place he is he thrives every place he goes he thrives i want you to sometime read through the 13 last chapters of of the book of Genesis and see if you can ever find a single negative word out of the mouth of Joseph. He never let the spirit of offense and the spirit of negativity take root in his heart and become bitterness ever. He never let the spirit of offense take root in his heart. The spirit of negativity take root in his heart. You just don't see it happening with him. And so he's he's in prison now. We see what's happening. False accusation now. It led to this next garment. He's in prison garments. And this is the test of being forgotten. Because while he's there, the baker, the butler come. He interprets their dreams. The baker, well, his dream comes, it's interpreted correctly. And then the butler should have been like, man, he had a bad interpretation of him and a good one for me. Let's see what happens to me. And it did happen for the butler. And he was restored. But he was so excited about being restored and put back to where he should be that he forgot Joseph. So now we have the test of being, or at least feeling, forgotten. No one knows where I am. No one knows what I'm doing. I'm totally lost. I've, that test is going on. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream. And the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance to the butler, hey, remember that guy Joseph? Yeah, he interpreted a dream. Yeah. It's, you, for, you ever, like, not answered an email for two years by accident? Okay, two years later. Oh, yeah, there's this one guy. I'm sure he hasn't gone anywhere. I know where to find him. It says in Genesis 41 verse 14. They went and they made Joseph run from the prison house. Everybody say suddenly. Because God brings turnarounds. Suddenly. 90% 10% of life is what happens to us. 90% is how we respond to it. We can get bitter. We can get better. But God has never ever put. Us in a circumstance where he purposed for us to get better through it, only to get better, to go up to go up to the next level through it. And Joseph goes from the place that seems the farthest from having his dream fulfilled and feeling forgotten, most likely feeling totally forgotten to a place where he becomes second in charge of all of Egypt because he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh says, you are now second in command of all of Egypt. I'm naming you Zaphnath paniah here's, here's what Pharaoh named him. So I've heard somebody preach this before, like, hey, we shouldn't have Pharaoh giving us names. That's worldly. Here's what his name means in Egyptian. God speaks and God lives. Joseph's testimony to all of the Egyptians is God is alive. He talks. God speaks and God lives. Hey, God speaks and God lives. It's so good to see you today. Your life declares to us that God is alive, that your your God is a living God. You're second in charge. All this stuff happened. We know it unfolds. God uses the the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream to save the, the, the known world from famine, including Joseph's family. In that season of wearing the royal garments, the fourth garments are put on him, the royal garments, we see that. That testimony that Joseph has, because he kept his heart pure, his testimony to his generation became God speaks and God lives. And he got married and he had two kids named Manasseh, which means God made me forget all the, the pain that happened to me. You know, you can move in such a spirit of forgiveness that God causes you to forget. Like it's not there. It's not the thing driving you, feeling you. And then he said, and he had Ephraim, and he said, the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, this is all in the story. I'm paraphrasing. It's 13 chapters long, so we we can't do it all in chapel. At the end of Joseph's life, I want to show you this. We're talking about preventing the spirit of offense from taking root in our hearts. We do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on what he's doing, having a vision. Clinging to the promises of God. But we also do, do this through the spirit through through a spirit of forgiveness. At the end of his life, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said, the brothers, Dad is dead, brothers are thinking, now we're dead. Joseph was nice That's because Dad was alive. They didn't understand how thoroughly this was. Joseph t- tells them, I've already forgiven you guys. I've, for, I've totally forgiven you. I've completely forgiven you. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to save many people alive. You see what's intended for evil against your life in my life and against our generation. God intends for good to cause us to transcend it so many people can be saved alive so we can see a harvest come in in our generation. And we've got to be in this place of forgiveness. And as we come to a close this morning, we have to get to this place. You see, This prevented, this spirit of forgiveness prevented bitterness from derailing the purpose of God in his life. Never once do we see an entitlement spirit on Joseph during his trials. I deserve better than this. How could this happen to me? God, where have you been? All that stuff. It doesn't even feel good to even imitate it. I'm just going to go in the world and say, no. Forgiveness inoculated him from bitterness. And forgiveness inoculates us from allowing our past to have one word of say in our present and our future. This just sends it away. Sometimes we, we're, we're hurt by something that happened in our family. We're like, I will never do that. And that's our way of handling it. Don't say that. Just forgive it. Because forgiveness breaks its power to have anything to do with you in the present. While you're saying, I'm never going to do that, you're still looking at it. That's your vision. I'm never going to do that. My vision is never to do that. We need a bigger vision in our life than just not doing something bad. (laughs) When I forgive it, I can turn and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. And I can move into the spirit of the overcomer. And I just came by today to encourage you guys with these truths. I came by to tell you that you are overcomers. I came by to tell you that whatever garment you might be wearing right now, however you got into School of Urban Missions and Bible College, whatever circumstances the Lord moved in to move you here, God has purposed for you to thrive here and every place he sends you, but keep your heart with diligence. Out of it come the issues of life. We were singing about free from resentment. It wasn't in the words. You're just kind of vamping. Free from rejection, free from resentment, free from all that. It's like, yeah, man, that's so good. Yes, Lord, let that be that kind of freedom. Let that kind of freedom mark our life.